Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. A lot in scripture 400 times, but we use it a lot at, a lot at church as well. Uh, we sing it. We just sang, let your glory come here. Let your, you know, your presence come here. What is glory? I mean, we even use glory. Uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I've been in church services where the Holy Spirit's moving and people get really excited and they yell, glory. And I'm going, what does that mean? Well, we use the word glory to even grade services. Like, how did church go today? Man, the glory of God was there. What does that mean? What, what, what is this thing called glory? I think that uh, for all of its use and perhaps its misuse, the reality is that most of us really can't describe glory. We don't know how to articulate it. Not only that, most of us don't know how to get glory, and most of us certainly don't know how to keep glory. Glory is this term that in one word gives you the ability in, in some nebulous kind of way to describe God. Glory. That's who he is. That's what he is. That, that one word indicates his presence. This morning, I just want to remind you, uh, look, by the way, everybody take your um, left hand. Go ahead, take your left hand, put it out like this, and just pull across like this and go click, all right, because it's going to get tight in here. I just want you to fasten your seatbelt. This one's a hard one, all right? Uh, this is a brutal word. I, under, I guess most of mine are. I don't know. Some of y'all look at me like, what's different? But, but this one's tight, all right? This one's going to be tough, but just stay with me. All right, because here it is. Here it is in a nutshell. Let me just say this to you. Four years ago, uh, a little over four years ago in January, a group of people sat in the living room of my house, and we began to discuss why do we need to start a church? Why should we even go through the pain and the turmoil and the childbirth of giving birth to a church? It's too painful just to do this for no reason. Why do we want to do this? And to a man, we used a different term, but when you really pull it down, it's, it's glory. Because what we said, if you summarized what everybody said when we run around the circle was this. Everybody said, we want more. More of what? Glory. When you pull it down, that's what we were saying, is we want more of the presence of God, more of the manifested glory of God, more of an invasion of God into our lives and our community. We want more. I can tell you now, four years later, that I am still just as committed to seeing more. I am not satisfied as good as it's been over the last four years. I am not satisfied with the level of God that we're experiencing. I am still committed to the idea and the concept and the promise that we can have more of God than we've ever experienced in our lives. I want more. I guess I'm the only one. That's where I am. I've encountered God in my life. I have a, a storied heritage of encounters with God, but I'm not satisfied. I want more of His glory. So over the next few weeks, I want us to talk about glory, but I want to get very specific, and I want us to move beyond just momentary experiences of euphoria that last one or two services, and then we slide back into, quote, regular church, normal church. I am not interested in that. 
I want us to discover how do we get, what steps do we have to take to actually secure the glory, to keep the glory, and to allow the glory to move into not only our church services, but I want it to go beyond that. I want you to begin to see the glory of God in your own life. I understand that for you to get glory in your house, most likely it's got to start in this house. And so I want us to take the steps necessary. I think probably the best place that I can start is I can read to you an account of what I believe is probably one of the most incredible, incredible, powerful, and glory-filled services ever recorded in Scripture. How many of you have ever been in a church service where you would say, whether you could articulate it, describe it, explain it or not, you could say the glory of God showed up? Anybody been in one of those services? Okay, three of you. Anybody else ever? Okay, about six of you. All right, it's coming now. You're starting to remember. Anybody ever been in a glory-filled service before? All right. Okay. As man, y'all are slow this morning. I know they all got beat, but we're still here. Come on now. I, I only preach to the level you preach with me. All right. I need your help this morning. Listen, I, I, I don't care how much you've encountered the presence of God and the glory that you've experienced. The account that I'm getting ready to read to you probably surpasses anything that any of us have ever encountered. I have never been to a church service where the preacher couldn't get into the building because the presence of God was so, so real and so filled the place. Now, I've been in some church services where I wish the preacher hadn't been able to get in. But, but, but I've never actually been in one where the presence of God was so strong that nobody needed a microphone, nobody needed to talk. They just all stepped back and said, God's doing something. We don't understand it. Let us get out of the way. I've never been in that. I want to see that. That's what's happening here. I, I, I want us to see the glory at such a degree that we become so hungry that we fall on our face and see Him. Listen, I, I just want to clue you in this morning. That probably won't happen because of me. That will probably happen in spite of me. You recognize, most of you that know me very much, recognize that I'm task-oriented, type A, one-track mind, right? So I know how to do church one way. And so in order for God to show up at that degree, it's probably going to have to be because a group of people get so hungry for the presence of God that they push me out of the way and say, put the microphone down. We're hearing from God. We don't need to hear from you. That's what I'm longing for. Now, here's the problem. Before I can talk to you about why we need, we'll do that next week. We're going to talk next week about why we need the glory. Why is it essential that this body experience the, the glory of the Lord. Before we can talk about the why, we have to talk about the cost of glory. Here's why. I need a Corvette. All right? I'm 43 years old. I'm going bald. I'm not as cute as I used to be. Things are starting to move around in my face and neck and, and hair's moving to different places. I need a Corvette because I'm having a midlife crisis, right? I need a red, shiny, fast, shiny wheels, loud, convertible, something. I, I, I need one, right? But just needing one doesn't mean I'm going to get one. Until I'm willing to take the steps necessary like move my, my family out into a tent because that's the only way we'd ever be able to afford a Corvette, then I am never going to actually secure that type of vehicle, correct? Just because you need something doesn't mean you're going to get something unless you are willing to take the steps necessary to get what you need. I'm preaching. I ain't even read the text yet. 
we've got to come to this place where we go beyond just saying, God, we need your glory. Woo! And we actually take the steps necessary and pay the high price. Because I got news for you. Glory is not cheap. And it is take it requires a high price to get the glory. So here we go. Let me read to you this this, this church service that I would love to experience. Here it is. Second Chronicles chapter seven, verses one through ten. When Solomon finished praying. When Solomon finished praying, I think I want to read that one more time because it's so profound. When Solomon finished praying, a bolt of lightning out of heaven struck the whole burnt offering and sacrifices, and the glory of God filled the temple. The glory was so dense that the priest couldn't get in. God so filled the temple that there was no room left for the priest. And when all of Israel saw the fire fall from heaven and the glory of God filled the temple, they fell on their knees and they bowed their heads and they worshiped, thanking God. And this is what they said. Yes, God is good. His love never quits. Then the king and all of Israel worshiped, offering sacrifices to God. King Solomon worshiped by sacrificing 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep at the dedication of the temple. And the priests were all on duty, the choir and the orchestra of Levites and that David had provided for singing and playing the anthems to, to the praise and love of God were all there. Across the courtyards, the priests blew trumpets. All of Israel, all the Israelites were on their feet. Solomon set apart the central area of the courtyard in front of God's temple for sacred use and there sacrificed the whole burnt offerings, the grain offerings and fat from the peace offerings. The bronze altar was too small to handle all these offerings. This is how Solomon kept the great autumn feast of booths for seven days. There were people there from the far from 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 all uh, the way from the far northeast, the entrance to Hamath to the far southwest, the brook of Egypt, a huge congregation. They started out celebrating for seven days. It didn't just happen at church; it invaded their life. Listen to what it says. They they started out celebrating for seven days. Then they did it for another seven days, a week for dedicating the altar, and another for the feast itself. Two solid weeks of celebration. Some of you can't even give God an hour. And they gave God two solid weeks. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, Solomon dismissed his congregation. See if this this glory that happened at church invaded their life. They left rejoicing, exuberant over all the good God had done for David and Solomon and his people, Israel. I believe there are three components, ingredients, if you will, to getting God's glory and to keeping God's glory. These three things are high-priced. I wrestled in high school, as many of you know, and on our wall, one of the sayings that you always hear around the wrestling room is this, no guts, no glory. Unless you are willing to put in the hard work, unless you're willing to put in and pay the price, there can be no glory. And what I am saying to you today is that there are three components revealed in this account that show us the high price of what glory costs. And unless we are willing to pay those prices, those things, get those components, get those guts in our life, we will not see glory. The first one that I want to talk to you about. You actually need to go back. This is your homework today. You need to go back and read Second Chronicles chapter 6. Second Chronicles chapter 6 is 42 verses long. Go back and look what it is. For 42 verses, it is nothing but an account of Solomon praying. 
over and over again. God, he, he's asking God, God, fill this temple. I've gone to all this trouble and built this temple. Please, God, let your glory fill this place. Let your face shine on it. Accept our sacrifices for 42 long verses. All he does is pray and ask God, let us see your glory. Then we arrive on the doorstep of, of chapter 7. And in the first, very first verse, he shows us how to get glory. I read it to you over and over again. When Solomon finished praying. Surprise! The currency that God's glory rides into a place on is prayer. Is it any wonder that we've been talking for the last month about how to pray? The reason I've been trying to teach you how to pray is because here it is in a nutshell. Here it is. No prayer, no presence. That is the currency that God calls us to, that God uses to establish His glory in in a place. If we don't pray, we will not see His glory here. And now let me just remind you again, I am not talking about a specifically called prayer meeting, although I've got nothing against that, and we have one. Every Wednesday morning on the Bethany campus, there's corporate prayer for our our church. Let me just remind you, I am challenging you, I am calling you, that you have to begin to pray for our body as individuals. Let me just ask you this. I, I, I told you, you're already buckled in, so just hang on. If you aren't willing to pray during the course of a week for this body, then why show up on Sunday? If you aren't willing to invest any prayer currency so that we can guarantee that God's glory is going to show up here, then why even darken the door? You're wasting your time, my time, our time, God's time. The currency he rides in on is prayer, and unless we're willing to invest prayer, we're wasting our time. Let me, let me say it like this. You know, the truth is I don't spend my week praying this. Oh, God. They're rolling back prices at Walmart. We need to see your glory fill Walmart, God. When people walk in, let your glory. I don't pray for the glory of God to fill Walmart. So if I don't spend any more time praying for my church than I do praying for my Walmart, then have I just made my church just one more item on my to-do list like Walmart is? Prayer. Prayer is the key. If you don't pray for God's presence to fill this place so that in turn we can transfer that glory out of here into your homes, then you have made this place right here nothing more than a social civic club. The thing that separates us, the thing that makes us different, the things that the thing that makes us what we're supposed to be is not programming. It's not even the fact that we're all here to see one another. The thing that's supposed to separate us is His glory. And the only way we get His glory is through prayer. I'm calling you to pray. I'm calling you to spend some time each week before you get here on Sunday morning seeking God's face. Listen, if you didn't think about what God was going to do before you got here, you're late for work. If you didn't spend more than seven seconds thinking about what was going to happen when God, when you got here, then you didn't invest anything. So why would God even bother showing up? 
See, one of the key principles of God's kingdom, and he will not violate the principles of his kingdom, is this. You have not because you ask not. And I wonder if maybe perhaps sometimes we don't see the glory of God in our midst because we haven't asked to see the glory of God in our midst. We've got to come back to this place where I am so invested in what God is doing. I so badly and so hunger to see the presence of God come into this place and change people's lives forever that I am willing to invest my time and pray. Actually pray on Monday and on Tuesday and on Thursday and on a Wednesday and on a Friday. And I say, I don't wait to just, oh, I'm in the car on the way to church. It's Sunday. Good gracious, I better pray and ask God to show up. No, I'm investing in prayer all week long. Saying, God, you've got to show up. If you don't show up, we're no different than anybody else. If you don't show up, lives are going to be lost. If you don't show up, nobody's lives are going to be transformed. Nobody's going to be changed. Yeah, we're going to hear some good music, but that's not enough. We got prayer. If you want to see and benefit and behold the glory, then you must actively participate in seeking the glory. You cannot relegate seeking God's glory to a set group of people shoved off somewhere in a prayer room. They cannot pray down the glory enough just for you and them and everybody else. We've all got to actively contend for the glory of God to be revealed in this place. And the way that you do that is you invest in prayer. The second assignment that I have for you to do this afternoon is to go back to chapter 5. The glory rides in on prayer. Let me tell you how to keep the glory. Chapter 5 tells us that Solomon offers so many sacrifices to God that they can't even be counted. Think about that now. He offered so many animals on the altars they couldn't even count them. They know how to count. Because then they come back in chapter 7, and after he's already offered so many sacrifices you can't count them, then they begin to count. And they say, wow, on the day of the dedication, he dedicated 142,000 animals. Stick with me. The glory rides in on prayer. The glory stays here on the currency of sacrifice. David set this precedent long before Solomon ever had this public service. David said it like this when he began to talk about worship. He said this, I refuse to offer anything to God that doesn't cost me something. It's the concept of sacrifice. God responds to sacrifice. God responds to sacrifice. So I wonder how many of us are a part of this church but have at no cost. I told you it's going to get tight. At what cost? What does it really cost you to sit where you're sitting right now? Uh Uh-oh, he's going to talk about money. No. Listen, money is only one aspect of it. I probably ought to talk about money because some of you are freeloading. But, but. Some of you are paying all kinds of money, but you're still freeloading because it's not just about money. It's about time. It's about energy. It's about relationships. Some of you have been attending this church for four years, and you don't know anybody better now than you did on the first day you got here because you won't invest and sacrifice your personal space and your personal walls, and you won't let your walls down and let anybody get close to you. You've got to sacrifice. You won't give any of your energy. We can't get you to serve. There are gaps in the ministry where people are burning themselves out and we can't get you to do nothing but sit in a chair. No sacrifice. And what Solomon teaches us is this. In chapter 5, he had already offered so many animals that 
they couldn't be counted. Now, in chapter 7, before, before he makes the 142,000 offering, before he does that, the glory falls. Then he offers the 142,000. You know what he's teaching us? A principle I've already taught you before that I want to teach you again, and that is this. What gets you to a place keeps you in that place. Our problem is, is we start having good services, and then we want to sit back and relax and say, well, I've done my bit. I've sacrificed all I can sacrifice. I'm not going to give anymore. I'm not going to serve anymore. I'm going to check out. Now that the glory of God is here, I can just coast. But Solomon teaches us this. you got to keep sacrificing. It is sacrifice that secures the glory of God. What you used to give, you got to keep giving. What you, how you used to serve, you got to keep serving. you got to plug in and sacrifice because God always responds to sacrifice. What are you sacrificing to see God's glory come to our community through this church? When you really sit down and take stock, what is it costing you to come to this church? I just want to tell, I just want to make a declaration to you. It shouldn't be easy for you to come to this church. It ought to be hard. I know some of you are making sacrifices. Some of you are driving ungodly distances to get here. I understand. Thank you, Kingfisher crowd. Appreciate it. Drove that last week. Don't know that I could do that every week. I appreciate your sacrifice. Some of you are two blocks away and can't get here. What is it costing you to be in the presence of God and to secure the presence of God, not only in this house, but your house. What are you investing? I just want to be honest with you. I was very transparent with the early service. I'm going to be transparent with you too. When we look at the scope of what God has done in our midst, and I could talk to you about marriages that have been saved and lives that have been transformed and access to apartments that other churches have tried to get for decades and cannot get. God has favored us. We've seen God move in our, in our services. We've seen God begin to transform life. But let me just be straight up honest with you. As Julie and I talk about our two campuses now, what we've come to, des- to decide is that this campus has become very apathetic. You've taken for granted the presence of God. The songs that used to move you don't move you anymore. Uh, I, I told you it's going to be tight. The preaching that you used to amen down and shout down and say, oh, no, now you don't even, it don't even touch you because we have quit making the same sacrifices we were. And let me tell you what happens when you quit making the sacrifices. The glory leaves. I just want to challenge you. Some of you need to take stock. You may have sacrificed to get here. But there still needs to be a daily bloodbath. Let me just tell you that when you offer so many animals, they can't be counted. And when you offer 142,000 animals, can I just give you a hint? It's going to be bloody. I know we try to clean it up and make it read all nice. Let me just tell you, when when you kill a bunch of 142,000 it's going to be bloody. And I am just saying to you that if you want to experience the glory of God at the degree that they experience the glory of God, then there's going to have to be a bloodbath in your life, and you're going to have to sacrifice some sin and some personal taste and some comfort zone and some pride and some ego and some selfishness, and you've got to lay all that stuff back on the altar and say, God, we've experienced you in the past, but we're not satisfied. We don't want to just taste your glory one, one time. We want to taste your glory all the time. And the only way that that is secured is through, through sacrifice. The third thing, the last thing I want to say to you this morning is that Solomon teaches us that preparation reveals priority.
Can I just tell you this morning that I think some of us are trying to stumble accidentally into the presence of God? Oh, it can happen. Ever been in one of those services where you didn't give the service a second thought? In fact, you were totally consumed by all the details of life. You walk into church not really expecting anything, just doing it because you always do it, and all of a sudden God shows up and it rocks your world. Ever been there? I've been there. Jacob had that experience. You remember the Bible says that Jacob was on a journey back to his father's house, laid his head down on a stone to go to sleep, and then he wakes up. God visited him in a dream. He wakes up and said, God was here, and I didn't even know it. So I do know that happens. I want that to happen. There are going to be people. I don't expect this to happen for you because you know what's here. There are going to be people that walk in here that just coming in because they saw our sign, they saw a bunch of cars, thought it was a liquor store, and it ended up being a church. I don't know why they're going to show up. They're just going to show up for accidentally. They're going to walk in. They just came because you bugged them so bad that they decided they would come so you'd leave them alone. They walk in expecting nothing, and God's going to show up. I understand that aspect. But what I have discovered as I search Scripture is this. Most often in Scripture, God showed up because people prepared for His presence. In fact, we're Pentecostal. So we just need to go on and point Acts chapter 2, which says, go and prepare an upper room and tarry. We need to go back and read in the Old Testament the steps the priest would go through to go into the presence of God. The Bible says that as they got ready, go read in Leviticus what the steps they had to take. They, they, when the high priest was going to go into the presence of God, he would wash himself. He would change his garments. He would burn incense. He went through all these steps to prepare to encounter God. In fact, the story of Solomon's temple is a story of preparation. Solomon, Solomon was absolutely meticulous in what materials could be used, the measurements that could be used. You think about the preparation that went into offer. You don't stumble into 142,000 animals. Oh, would somebody go get the animals? We need 142,000. No, he made preparation. For, oh, who's got the knife? Nobody brought a knife? Where are we going to get the wood to... How do you, preparation reveals priority. Here it is in a nutshell. You need to get this into your spirit. You get the amount of God's presence you prepare for. That was tight. That hits every one of us square and eye. You literally get the amount of God's presence that you prepare for. How you prepare reveals how important in having an encounter with God is to you. So let me get really specific and mess with you. Most of us refuse to protect our Saturday nights so that we will arrive in church fresh and ready to respond to God. I can always see it. You stumble in here all bleary-eyed and going, move me if you can. Then we wonder why God doesn't show up. Most of us spend more time preparing for work, preparing for school, preparing for dates, preparing for vacations than we actually prepare for God's presence. Some of us spend more time on getting our clothes ready for Sunday morning than we spend on our prayer time getting ready for Sunday morning. Most of us spend more time worrying about where we're going to go to lunch after church than we spend time actually praising God coming to church. Here's your average Sunday morning. I know, I've been there. You roll out of bed after you've hit the snooze button 92 times. You rush to get ready. 
you hope you match, you jump in the car, and one of two things happens. You either rock out or fight it out. It just depends on what kind of Sunday morning it is. Some of you understand what I'm talking about. Then you jump out of the car, you run in here, and you do this thing called church because this is what Christians are supposed to do. And then we wonder why we don't encounter God at the level that Solomon did. Because catch this, Solomon got ready for that one church service for seven years. He prepared for one church service for seven years. And guess what? The glory filled the temple. It better after seven years. Maybe we're getting the level of glory we're getting because we prepared for seven seconds. Oh, I'm in the parking lot. Going to church. Better put my Christian smile on. How are you? I'm blessed. Listen. I am challenging you to prepare. Let, let me say it like, like this. I am asking for you to begin to prepare that when you arrive here, you will actually come face to face with the glory of God. Can I just remind you that in the Old Testament, if the, the high priest didn't prepare for the glory, bad things happened. It was a bad day at his house because he wasn't coming out. Remember, they tied a rope to his foot to see whether he was still alive. If they tugged on it and he tugged back, he's okay. Put bells on the bottom of his clothes to, so they could hear him move because he knew if he wasn't prepared and he went in there, he was going to die. Can I tell you this morning, I know, I know we're in a season of grace and we don't see death like that. I don't expect people to actually literally die when they walk in here. But I just need to remind you that what was happening in the natural now happens in the supernatural. And what we do in here on Sunday morning is a matter of life and death. Because here's the truth. If we don't prepare for his glory and he doesn't show up, there are people, there are probably people sitting in here right now that were depending on an encounter with God. And now that they come in and they haven't gotten one, they're liable to walk out of here and never come to church again and turn their back on God and give up hope and possibly even kill themselves or be killed. And we would be responsible for no glory because we didn't prepare. This is life or death. This is no game. This is not just church as normal. I refuse to play church as normal. I want to tell you one more time, just so you'll be assured that I haven't changed. If all we're going to do is mark time and just have services because that's what churches are supposed to do, I'm done. There are plenty of churches in Oklahoma City that you can go to and get that. I am not interested. This is life or death. This is heaven or hell. This is people dying and going into eternity of hell and finding hope here or not. And that happens when people prepare. So let me put it like this. I am challenging our ushers to prepare like priests. Because they are. I, I'm asking our greeters to not just smile real big. I'm asking them to actually make preparation to get here like a priest. Because they are. I'm asking our sound and tech team to actually to prepare to do what they do as priests because they are. I'm asking our band to actually know the music before they get here so they're prepared because they're priests. I'm asking our singers to actually know their notes and know their words because they are getting here to usher the presence of God in. But let me go beyond that. I'm, I'm challenging you because you're a priest too. In fact is, I'm asking you to prepare better than our singers do 
and better than our band does and better than the preacher does so that if the preacher preaches a terrible sermon, you can still experience the glory of God. I'm asking you to prepare at such a degree that if our singers couldn't sing the right note, if their life depended on it and this and the band messed it all up, you're still here. And the presence of God floods into this place and lives are transformed because you prepared for it. He prepares for you. You've got to prepare for Him. So here's the question. Are you paying the price? Because if you're not, no guts, no glory. I am challenging you to take stock of your own investment here. Are you praying for this body during the course of the, your week, or is this nothing more than a Walmart stop on your to-do list on Sundays? I am challenging you to make sacrifice. Keep giving. Keep serving. Keep sacrificing. What is it costing you to get here? And then I'm challenging you, whether you're on stage, off stage, never close to the stage, that you get here prepared. Uh, let, let me just remind you that how you do that, you get your mind right, your heart right, your spirit right. You burn incense. But I'm not telling you to go to Hobby Lobby and get those sticks of incense. I'm talking about pray and worship before you get it. Let me tell you something. You can listen to George Jones on the way to church if you want to, but you're not going to get no glory. Or Bon Jovi or 50 Cent. I don't even know who's hiding. Lady Gaga. Like Lady Gaga. Like that really prepares your spirit. Come on. Let's get here with our mind right. Why? Why is this so important? Acts chapter 2. Let me see if this sounds scriptural or not. They were all in one place in one accord. Something unique happened afterwards. The glory fell. How did they get in one accord? They thought the same. They prepared. Their minds were right. Their hearts were right. Their spirits were right. And when they showed up together, it was like a bomb went off. I'm challenging you to begin to prepare like who you are. You are a priest. Why? Because this is a matter of life and death. And if we don't get His glory here, we might as well shut it all down and go home. Because I can't change anybody and neither can you. But His glory can. And I'm convinced if we can ever get His glory in this house, you know what will happen? That glory will begin to invade our that's what I long for. Stand with me this morning. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.